Now and Again is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage, Keanu, and more, head on over to cageclub.me. That is cageclub.me. Please play this song on the radio. Please play this song on the radio. Hey, it's your Now and Again. This is an EP. We're talking pop music on the other side of the ocean and the deep, deep history of now and again with us today we've got nico nico how are you hey i'm doing great thanks uh for having me on our first international episode yeah that's right we have irish now pop correspondent tom with us today tom how are you not too bad how are you uh you know been worse been better but you're uh how's how's things over on the other side of the on the other side of the pond as they like to say in in the land of tesco's (laughs) tesco's yeah uh pretty good Uh, at the moment it is very cold though September tends to get pretty cold in Ireland, so it's not good. I need to jump in with two things. Number one, I don't have a nifty title. I don't have, like, domestic pop database or anything, (laughs) and I find this egregious. Number two... I thought you were in Wikipedia. I'll take it. You know my moniker. Number two, (laughs) you should always be having a great day because you guys have the far superior Kit Kats. That is true. All our chocolate is way better than American chocolate. Your chocolate is so great. Uh, When I lived in Orlando... There's a shop in Disney World that actually just imports the European chocolate and European candy. And all of yeah. my friends who are doing the Disney International College program were like, if you have this and you ever go back to American candy, you'll understand why we make faces when we eat your candy. <laughs> yeah, I had a couple of bars when I was over there. They were pretty tasty. Yeah, super amazing. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump in. No, that's quite all right. So where do we want to start? Yeah, we're just going to talk just kind of pop music how the, how the other half of the world sees it because now has this hidden history that I think a lot of Americans don't know about there's about 15 years of now that's what I call musics from Europe that happened before we even got one do you have uh, you're around my age I believe do you have a, a memory of those from when you were younger oh definitely yeah I mean when I was uh, really young I remember my older cousins were really into pop music and they had like now 21, 22, 23, all that. And that was like early 90s. And then when I was about, I was going to say about 14, 15, I started buying them myself. So it'd been about the now 33 and now 32, I think were the sort of big ones that I had. They were up to 97, I think at the moment, which just came out like two months ago. Wow. By the time, I mean, by the time we get to 33 alone, at least one of Nico and I will definitely be dead. Um, like that's so far away. The early ones, from what I was looking at, had we're going back to like Culture Club, and and you know mid yeah, mid eighties, really. yeah. I remember my aunt had a vinyl of Now Two, which was just like even when I was like fifteen, sixteen, and I was listening to these records, just thinking back to when I wasn't even born yet, and they were still making them. Like that was just insane to me. I think it's a really interesting thing that uh, we're bringing up the fact that there is, by the time America got to it and it caught on with the masses, there was already an existing back catalog and there was, it was an entire way of life somewhere else that we weren't unaware of. And by way of life, I mean, it had, the, the, the now industry has to employ some volume of Europe, you know what I mean? Like, the totally, yeah. the money that it makes and how it, you know, redistributes to artists. Per, I guess I'm just hoping you guys have a much better system for paying people than we do. Uh, but it's not unlike comics, not to make everything about my wheelhouse, but one of the funny things is when People say to me, oh, yeah, I read that. I read the Captain America comic. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. If you say the Captain America comic, I don't know what's wrong with you. There's like 2,000. <laughs> Which one do you mean? There's, you know, a thousand Superman. There's a thousand Batman. And it's such a rich history. And it's something that um, by the time another age group gets to it, it's just about unrecognizable. There is really 
yeah, sure, there's there's elements that bind it together, but the Batman of 1947 is not the Batman of 1972, is not the Batman of 1999, is not the Batman of now. And when I was looking at the, the European nows to get ready for this, you can actually really watch the idea of Britpop and Europop like, shift the notion oh, yeah, totally. of this, what it yeah. is uh, and, and what Europe finds attractive. I also discovered that the number of European countries that get to stick their name before the word pop is just unrealistic. <laughs> Everybody is under the impression they have their own genre of pop music, and that just has to change. Yeah, there's Brit pop anyway is the main one that we used to get here. I don't think there's any Irish pop or era pop. You guys churn out quite a number of phenomenal bands, though. You guys had Boyzone. Oh, Zone. definitely, yeah. Oh, Boyzone... Westlife. West, I was about to say, you had Boyzone and Westlife. I mean, like, I yeah, think those the only the one... Two. Yeah, the only one you can't take credit for is, like, Take That and, like, Atomic Kitten. Yeah, pretty much. And even though, even that, I think one of the Atomic Kitten girls is Irish. And there you go. There you have it. <laughs> I guess everyone is really half Irish. And one of the Girls Aloud girls is Irish. Uh, yeah. You guys churn them out, man. Yeah, and it's like, Louis Walsh, the sort of, the Irish Simon Cowell, is a really big name in Ireland, and he's a really big influence on that sort of pop scene. Yeah, he's responsible for Westlife and Boys. Bewitched. <laughs> Bewitched, yeah. Blame it on the weatherman. <laughs> All that denim. Just way too much denim. You mentioned Simon Cowell. I mean, and I know that he is more, uh, you know, England. But how much... When American Idol came out, he was kind of touted here, much like Gordon Ramsay was um, when he kind of came to America as like the guy who did that thing over there. Yeah. Um, was he quite... As, as much of a household name? Yeah, definitely, because, I mean, X Factor, Pop Idol, all that stuff ran back years before mm-hmm. it came to America. Yeah, that's, like, that was like four or five years. That and yeah. Doctor Who over there, I swear to God, you guys don't... I mean, oh, EastEnders. No, not EastEnders. What's <laughs> yeah, the one? EastEnders, all that stuff. EastEnders? No, and EastEnders is one. Coronation yeah. Street? Coronation Street. Right? You guys have a few things... Other than Doctor Who and X Factor. Oh, and you have the Eurovision Song Contest. I ple- can oh, we God, please talk about Eurovision? Because my, <laughs> you know, about six or seven, probably more, actually. I think it was when I was in college, so we're going back maybe almost ten years now. When it became a meme on the internet was when that uh, borderline faux guar band was <laughs> Yeah, Lordy, I believe they were Yes, called. and now there's a much better Lordy uh, out there that's more in the now and again wheelhouse. But <laughs> what, what the hell is Eurovision? Please explain that to uh to the now and again american trash listeners to explain it is sort of to remove the mystique i think the main thing is that like it's it's part of the broadcasting union so like, there's a big broadcasting union in in europe that's what brexit was about right a bunch of people left the broadcasting union <laughs> yeah they left the broadcasting union because they weren't they were sick of all the regulations mm-hmm. but they basically got together sometime in the 70s and just started doing this thing where each broadcasting union would send a representative and that representative would sing a song which would be voted on by the people of the countries and it's sort of gaudy and tacky and it's it's absurd but it's i don't know it's something i grew up with especially being in ireland we won it like five times in the 90s yeah and i think we're thus we're still the record holder for the amount of winners um, I think we've t- won it a total of eight times it's definitely part of the tapestry of Irish pop music you can't really avoid it uh, but certainly in the last sort of 10 years it's really been pushed back into the background especially since they split up the competition to be three parts now so there's a semi-final two semi-finals sorry and a final because the broadcasting union had gotten so big 
that it was just the shows were taking four or five hours mm. to do. Like the voting itself was half the show. And who is voting on this? Is this just the people? Yes, yeah, phone votes, text votes. Obviously, text votes are a more recent thing. Online votes. And the people vote for other countries. They obviously can't vote for their own country. Ah. Points are assigned based on the amount of votes that every song is given. All the points are totted up at the end and the winner the most points uh, and then the winner has to host the following year oh. which almost bankrupt Ireland in the 90s <laughs> we won it three times in a row <laughs> and at that time we were not a rich country we have become since a much richer country but at the time we were still pretty poor and my mother and father went to it in 93 to see the one where Riverdance came from which I think is probably the biggest legacy that the Eurovision will ever have is Riverdance and bloody Michael Flatley and bloody Michael fucking Flatley when I say I'm half <laughs> Irish I mean like my mom was sort of like Riverdance is coming to New York and suddenly our heritage is here and it was one of those things where she was suddenly like man I wish we had gotten you into Irish step dancing lessons when you were a kid and I was sort of like no <laughs> so for real though people don't realize the extent and effect Eurovision has had on worldwide pop music. Oh, definitely, yeah. It's sort of a mirror of pop music in a lot of ways as well. You'll see trends coming through via Eurovision and also sort of reflected in Eurovision from the current pop landscape. But then, like, say, in Ireland now, we've done a lot of weird sort of... All right, in 2008, this is going to be weird, we entered a turkey puppet as our entry and he sang a song about the Eurovision. That it was is awesome. bizarre. It was very strange. Don't you have to kind of at a certain point, like someone has to, I don't know if spoof is the right word, but like look at that thing and go, hey, hey, isn't this stupid, everyone? I mean, I I bet there's a lot of parodies when it comes up every year, but like. Yeah. And in in Ireland, because it is such a part of our, our landscape culturally, there have been a lot of parodies and sort of to go back to Pop Idol and X Factor and such in the mid 2000s as a way of selecting our artists for the that year's Eurovision. They started up what was called Eurostar, uh, and it was essentially a pop idol with the winner getting to go on and perform at the Eurovision. And that was a huge deal here in Ireland. Like, it was actually bigger even than the Eurovision. Wow. Uh, it went on for weeks and weeks, and it was just, it, it was it captivated the whole country. I remember watching it every Sunday night. I'd get home, arrive back in college and in my dorms and just watch it, just because it was on and, you know, get high. <laughs> Um, and make fun of it. <laughs> that actually really reminiscent of the fact that American Idol did extraordinarily well over here and, here and World Idol got no traction. I've never heard of World Idol. What's that? World Idol was this special thing they did where like all of the idols that had won in X number of years from all of the versions all over the world came together. And like Kelly Clarkson was specifically hypercritical of it because she was paid like $500 or something to appear and was really mistreated by the contract she signed with American Idol. But yeah, it's sort of that thing. Asking people to appreciate another country's music is, is so tricky sometimes. I've never understood how Eurovision is popular outside of there's a lot of us let's vote for our own country as i said you can't vote for your own country so i think that sort of helps it because yeah it sort of it forces you to expand your horizons and see what other countries are doing Um, yeah like you know europop is europop a lot of the stuff in that shows up in in eurovision over the years is just a very sort of bland europop probably the most famous of that being epic sax guy if you remember that particular meme no. But it will be in the liner notes. Yeah, they, it was it was a guy with a saxophone dressed up like a lunatic doing a really good dance while playing the sax. <laughs> I love it already. Uh, a 10-minute loop of that became a meme on the internet for about two years. Nico, can we briefly imagine, like, a mid-90s America vision, like, with, like, the sections? Like, you get, like, uh, grunge out of the Pacific Northwest, you got Orange County Ska, 
East Coast, West Coast hip-hop, the Juggalos get Michigan country, obviously. I'm also imagining how well that would have all come together in the 90s in terms of our cultural landscape of what people thought was acceptable music. One of the things that we talk about is what was in charge of, of, the, mult of the music scene in the world at the time. It's so hard to discuss that because there is no point at which hip-hop did not dominate the West Coast in the 90s. At the same time, the 90s gave the rise of country music as a worldwide phenomena. While on the East Coast, we were super obsessed with dance and club music. At the same time, grunge was everywhere in 1995. So was Jewel and Sarah McLachlan and Tori Amos and Joan Osborne and Meredith Brooks. You were starting to get those, like, you know, emotional singer-songwriters that appear in the early nows, like Duncan Sheik and Tonic and all that kind of crap. So it's literally impossible for me to imagine that. Uh, the other thing that we need to remember for two seconds is, and this is something I learned on my Disney College program, my friends in, from a friend from Europe would be like, so how far away is New Jersey? And I would be like, New Jersey is by car 20 hours. And they would be like, oh my God, and it's the same country? That happened to me when I was in Japan. Someone was like, yeah, we're going to come to visit New York. I was like, that's awesome, cool, like, let me know, and I'll I'll come show you around. And they're like, yeah, we're going to, like, drive down to, to Disney when it happens. And I was like, how long are you? Like, a week? I'm like, no, oh, no, you don't, you don't understand how distance works. And I mean, I get it, because yeah. I, I went to San Francisco, like, a year ago, and I was like, I'll drive up to Oregon to see my friend, and... He was like, it's eight hours away. It's just when you don't know your own geography. It's like, it's it's weird. Yeah, it's, it's hard to imagine the vastness of America, especially like compared to Ireland, because you can drive from the southmost point to the northmost point in six, seven hours. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ, we have states you can't cross that fast. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's hard to fathom that. And I think that's why you have such a broad spectrum of these little pockets of music that yeah. sort of evolved on their own, because for intense, all intents and purposes... The West Coast of America and the East Coast of America are different countries. You'd be amazed. The West and East Coast of America, other than the fact that the East Coast has a very short fuse for everything, and the West Coast has a very long fuse for everything, and they prefer Coke on the East Coast, and they prefer, like, meth on the West Coast, <laughs> they're pretty much buddies. It's the rest of the country that we just don't Yeah, if you could understand. build, like, a Elon Musk sky bridge across... We could just, uh, you know, have a, a, a partnership. But, you know, what? I'm talking about it that way. I, I do think there is something I'm going to do that thing I do where I'm like, hey, let's talk about the evolution of hip hop in terms of other things. But let's, let's go for it. Let's talk about the evolution of hip hop in terms of other things for 10 seconds. If what we're saying is that the geographic relationship, the kind of like the ratio of, 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 of people and unique culture in Europe should be the considered what we have as states in America. I know I said that all jumbled, but countries are to Europe as states are to the United States of America in terms of the, the, the smallness, the pockets, the, the concentration of people. It actually makes a lot of sense that there would be Britpop, Talia Pop. I only really brushed through some of the other ones that like to call themselves <laughs> their own pops because we have West Coast rap, we have East Coast rap. Atlanta. Dirty yeah. South rap you've uh, got. Atlanta yeah. has hyphy. Yeah. St. Louis has its very own unique style of rap. Yeah, I've been talking Nelly a lot. And you, I, I, hey, Eminem from Michigan, and the, do not forget the Juggalos in Michigan. You know what? You, you, I gotta be real. If you actually think about it, Michigan rappers have a really aggressive style. That's something that the Juggalos and Eminem would both have in common. Uh, a hyper-aggressive, almost sense of oafish masculinity. No offense, Michigan. I know you could all come at me and club me to death. But, like, I do think there's something really interesting that, that you're making a... a a fantastic point on so i guess we do have to say that the eurovision of the united states just is x factor and american idol 
where it's many people performing many different genres. Are they really performing many different genres on those shows? Let's at least take a step back and say, when the guy who came on auditioning for country music is told he has to do a Spanish guitar style song, I can almost promise you he's not doing a straight up Spanish guitar style song. He's going to do it infused with country in some way. So it's at least creating a, a, a... If there is a common genre, there is still a crossover element that creates a non-commonality. Sure, but like Bad Guar is never going to be able to even get on. They would get on America's Got Talent, no problem. America's Got Talent has the weirdest fucking acts all the time. I think with uh, Lordy as well, because it's sort of the people push it forward rather than it being something that's created by, you know, the likes of Simon Cowell and that it is sort of, it's fabricated. Whereas there is a sort of quote-unquote realness to the Eurovision because it is the popular, you know, what people voting for. So I think there's there's definitely that element to it that wouldn't really bleed into it if they did it in America. And isn't that something else that kind of, and again, I, for those who are listening, I am aware that Ireland and England are separate places. But yes. every, every year I hear about how there's like a big push to like push something to the top of the charts around Christmas time. That's like a gag. What is up with that? Oh, yeah, I was going to actually ask you about that because I don't know if that's a thing over the water, but yeah, it that's is a not. huge deal. Here. It actually yeah, kind of Christmas is. Christmas number one. Actually, we do is that. It? Yeah, it, we don't do it to quite the same okay. extent, but there have been more than one time where there was a, a viral push to propel a song back onto the charts. One time, uh, enough people made New Kids on the Block's Hanging Tough number one on Total Request Live. Okay, so yeah, little things like that, but this is like specifically centered around every every year, every Christmas. Like, what is the number yeah. one song is like a big it's deal. A, is what what's Where does that come from? It's a huge deal. I don't really know where it comes from, but it's certainly something that in both England and Ireland it is a big... There's, there's always like people talking about it, you'll hear news about it. There's just always this sort of kerfuffle about it every year. And I think one of the particular reasons is because as an artist, you definitely want to have a Christmas number one because you are set for life if you get a Christmas Really? Because every year that song will be played all over Christmas. So like, even if your song is terrible, if you somehow manage to get it to Christmas number one, people will hear that song every year for the next 20 years. There's songs like Frankie Goes to Hollywood have a very, have a really famous one, uh, The Power of Love. Song has nothing to do with Christmas. Every single year you have to hear that song at Christmas because it's constantly on the radio, but because it was Christmas number one. Oh. And even, again, to bring it back to X Factor and all that, there was a show, Pop Stars, where the winner, yeah, they competed to have the Christmas number one. That was the show. Hmm. And it was like Girls Aloud and another band that were like culled from the Pop Stars stable. Um, and they were just put onto this show. And then the whole thing was you voted for your team or your band or whatever the one you liked by buying their single, which was a great way to make money, but I don't think they ever tried it again. Girls Aloud themselves obviously had a lot of success after that, but yeah. that was the main reason that they got pushed ahead. I think I actually have to jump in and say, I think part of the reason we don't see a cultural phenomenon over this kind of stuff the same way is I, I really think we did stumble onto something really important when we when we first started talking with the fact that we're 319 million people. Our country is so much bigger with so many more people, I think it is hard for us to get as wrapped up in something as a nation. You know, one of the things that people talk about is how Game of Thrones is all anyone will talk about. The largest viewership projection for Game of Thrones that there is places it below Two and a Half Men at its peak. Yeah, if, if there's anything that is equivalent to, like, a Christmas number one here, it's like, who's playing the Super Bowl? 
because that is where Absolutely. the most eyes are going to be at yeah, once. Yeah, that'd be it. Yeah, yeah. and like that's a, some, that's something that reaches even over here. Like, oh really? Yeah, people here will watch the Super Bowl just to watch the halftime show. The halftime show gets a bigger, gets higher ratings than the game. It's the most watched thing uh, every year. Stay stay tuned for uh, next episode when we will talk about Katy Perry uh, and more a little bit. Uh, spoilers. Uh, I love that halftime show. Uh, yeah, hers, hers is pretty good. I mean, they've definitely... Michael Jackson really kind of started that in the 90s, and it's become really its own its own crazy monster. Um, anything equivalent? or is, is that the equivalent to the Christmas thing, or is there anything I else? I guess that would be the nearest equivalent yeah. in terms of, like, a singular pop event of the year. Well, except I think the Christmas thing, from what you've expressed, the Christmas thing is more about fans banding together to get what they want. The Super Bowl thing is whoever they feel like paying and don't want to have to deal with a racist criticism over. In that regard, it does feel a little bit... I just don't know that we have an equivalent. Yeah, that's true. The Super Bowl is purely capitalist. It's yeah. purely capitalist, just decided by seven old white guys sitting in a room somewhere. I think it's been the Pepsi halftime show for the last five years or so. Yeah. You know, what you're saying is in in, your, in England and Ireland and the UK, it's... More populist. Yeah. yeah, it's a celebration of what brings you guys together as opposed to a corporation informing you what you're going to enjoy for the next three months. I don't know, uh, especially as I was doing like the research and the homework to be able to, you know, actually talk about this. I had been talking to one of my students the other day and this, I promise it comes together and I'm not high at all. <laughs> my student said to me, I made some comment about, have you ever heard of, okay, so my everything by 98 degrees is structurally identical to I Believe I Can Fly by R. Kelly. Which is identical to Michael Jackson's, um, the one that where he's naked with Lisa Marie in the video. You are not alone. Yes, thank no, you. No, this is, this is actually much closer. I mean, oh, wow. they go, they, the chord, progr- it, it literally feels like the exact same song, A Half Step Off. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, dun. It's like it. It's identical down to the. It shifts to the minor, and then you get the seventh. It's flawlessly identical. It's frightening. And I said that to my student, and my student was like, "You know, I really couldn't tell you who 98 Degrees is." And I was like, "LOL, okay." And she was like, "No, no, I'm, I'm sorry, and I don't mean this disrespectfully. I'm 17. You're 31. The bands you liked growing up broke up before I was born." Yeah. And I ex- very politely expressed to her, my sweet dear, if you think the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC broke up before 2000, I'm going to school you to death. The whole point that came out of it was she didn't... When I'm like, yeah, no, NSYNC set this record, the Backstreet Boys set this record, and then NSYNC broke it a week later, and I'm trying to explain all this to her. And one of the things that I, I discovered in my research for this that I guess created a parallel... Take That holds, like, every goddamn fucking record in England ever? Yeah, but it won't, yeah. They have, like, every biggest record ever. It's like them and Muse and Keen are, like, the most award-winning, most well-liked, most reputable band over their period. I can name one Take That song. I can name zero. Whatever went wrong, mm-hmm. just tell me this song and I'll say, want you back. You'll be right. That is their best song. Want you back, want you back. Said I want you back for good. It's a great song. It's actually, but I, like, and I can see the video in my head. After that, I can name a handful of Robbie Williams songs. Mm. That's it. To Europe, this band that I'm like, haha, footnote. I guess that's kind of how my students feel when I'm like, if you don't understand the cultural impact of what NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys did to this country by remarketing our country as a teen nation paid for by adults, you just don't understand. 
one of the things I'm getting from this conversation is I just seriously do not understand Europop as an identity. <laughs> not as a, not as like a genre of music because I get the constructs. It's, you know, it's a lot of... And, and you know, it's a lot of... And, you know, American pop music, but with a better beat. I guess I just don't understand the cultural identity of Britpop and Europop because it sounds so much more whereas our country likes to divide each other by music down to we have that whole anything but rap and country it kind of sort of sounds to me like Europe is sort of like hey we're all fucking weird check out the music it sounds a little bit more like a celebration and that's kind of what music is supposed to be you definitely get that and particularly on the continent which is where all the main sort of Euro pop comes from yeah there's definitely just that sort of celebration of like a shared culture take that being a slightly different situation because yeah you can't even talk All about right, for that. those yeah. of us who aren't from that country and those of us who aren't a living breathing wikipedia what is take that do you mind oh yeah go ahead i better say just because i did like a whole bunch of research so i have notes uh take that <laughs> continue check check his notes check his research Give us the deets on these guys. I mean, I have lived experience, so, you know. Take that, where uh, a group where the lead singer was Gary Barlow, and he did yep. a lot of the, the songwriting. Yes. Then there was Robbie Williams and the other guys. They had some, like, record number of pop top singles in the UK. They have like some of they have some of the highest selling tours of all time they have some of the highest selling albums of all time they recorded from like 1990 to 1995 ish and then they got back together for a record in the mid aughts but i don't believe robbie williams was on that one i believe he showed up for the 2010 one according to my notes progress where, according to Wikipedia, it became the fastest-selling album of the 21st century wow. and the second-fastest-selling album in British history. Uh, that's a direct I didn't quote. even know that. Wow. Um, that is impressive. Then Williams and Orange left again. So it's one of those things. It's kind of like... It sort of seems to me like a Diana Ross and the Supremes thing, but what's shocking is... When Diana Ross leaves the Supremes, people care less, which is <laughs> Mary Wells is amazing. When... Robbie Williams leaves take that when he's the backing vocalist it seems to gut them Robbie Williams is someone who has come up on the show very briefly his one big song in America was Millennium he also had Angels which Jessica Simpson covered sure. and then he had another number one with Rock DJ where he stripped naked in the video and then pulled off his oh, skin yeah. and was a dancing skeleton so he's had at least three top ten hits interesting that he came from this band so I mean, he's massive. We we learned, uh, it was a Joey episode, possibly, where we learned about this. We were just like, this Robbie Williams guy. And to you, to us not knowing who this Robbie Williams is, Tom, to you, Robbie Williams is, and this Take That, what is this to you when, when that comes up? I mean, obviously, I grew up with Take That because they were one of the dominant cultural forces in the 90s in the UK and Ireland. When Robbie left, that was like, that was an earth shattering event for a lot of people. I remember like friends of mine wow. crying about it and everything. He didn't start off as being the main guy in Take That, but certainly as time went by, he pushed more and more to the front because he had the charisma. He had, he just had that, whatever what that was, he had it. I think I can make a quick parallel for Chris. It's almost like if Justin never overtook right. JC from the early stuff where they're equal, it's almost as if Justin never overtook JC, but quit just after they released uh, No Strings Attached. It's like right. that level of jolt to the, to the uh, yeah. from my research. This is the thing we've really been talking about a lot recently is like Beyonce leaving, Justin leaving, 
uh, Omerion secondarily kind of leaving. It's just like a lot of these bands are pushing one person to the front and being like, all right, it's your run. Take the ball, kid. But he just kind of, this wasn't you're the guy now. This was him being like, I'm the guy now. Yes. That was pretty much it. Yeah. He was just like, I'm going off on my own. And the music he came out with then was quite differently styled to what Take That were making. It was almost like he was making rock records nearly. Um, And he was a huge star here for a number of years. Obviously, Angels was just everywhere for two or three years. Oh, God, yeah. Sorry, that brings me to a thing. I have a note. I have to ask you about how European covers culture is completely different than American covers culture. You guys will put the same song on the top chart over and over and over in a way our country will never let you get away with. Probably most famously, we had the Oasis song Wonderwall and a cover in the top five of our charts. At the same time? At the same time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it was a weird, like, novelty cover, not like a serious cover. It was very odd. But to go back to Robbie, yeah, he was just, he was a phenomenon. There's no other way to say it. And, like, I think he tried to break into America, but it never really held for him. Uh, and shortly after that, I think he sort of moved back into the background anyway. But he did one, because I know you love Kylie, he did a a song with Kylie which I love yeah he did yeah um, yeah I even I love that one which is really really good and that was on a co- on a covers album or no sorry it was a duets album and he did a he did a cover of Something Stupid with Nicole Kidman that was big here and I think it was a Christmas number one in oh. fact oh that's disappointing because that's not one of my favorite things <laughs> no it's it's not it's, great it's pretty dreadful actually yeah <laughs> yeah uh, but it was big any other artists, uh, either either the Pedia or Tom, you can think of that huge over there, never really had their cup of coffee over here. We have a real-to-life Irish guy uh, on the line, we so we have to have a conversation about Boyzone and Ronan Keating. Oh, good old Ronan. How can you possibly have a conversation about I, about European pop music without discussing the fucking phenomenon that was Boyzone? All right, Tom, keep, clue guys yeah, like me were... in who are not in the Boyzone. Get gayer, man. <laughs> yeah, Boyzone were a, a boy group. They were created with the express purpose of taking on Take That. Literally, um, a copycat it, rival. Yeah, they were like if you look at some of their early videos, like there is just you could just swap out the guys and it's there would be you would not shot. know the difference. <laughs> Creepy. My research led me to some reared corners of the internet this afternoon. Let me tell you, yeah. the volume of Ronan Keating real person slash out there is <laughs> astronomical. I'm a gay dude, and I have a lot of gay sex. But if, if if Tumblr is to be believed, Ronan Keating has had more gay sex than anyone on Earth. I wasn't aware of that particular facet of his life. <laughs> it's, it's No, it's just people writing stories about him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. it's an intense love of RPS with that guy, real person slash. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. We'll definitely link to that in the liner notes. I showed Chris a video a number of, week back, number of weeks back of uh, Boyzone's first oh, appearance on them. television in Ireland. That, that is hilarious. Definitely, definitely check the liner notes for that. They were end the slash, but also that. Yeah, because that is just... They come on and they don't do a, a vocal performance. It's just dancing because at the time they hadn't like had any songs ready. No, and then but they did Louis a, Walsh. Yeah, they just came on and did a dance. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, the host of the show is just like completely baffled by this. He, yeah, he's he's obviously been just like told 
okay just put these lads on give them a quick five minutes on the thing on the show and just let him off and he was bamboozled by this he and obviously then afterwards when he's doing the interview he just spends the entire time making yeah. fun of them but obviously fair, you know fair dues to the lads they uh they pulled through and they became one of the biggest pop bands in both england and ireland i think they're take that hold every record boys own hold the second version of I, every record. i was actually about to say yeah uh boys own is literally one of the all-time highest sellingest artists ever their international sales figures are beyond extraordinary uh one of the things that uh, i came across also is their reunion almost it, it's hard to look at their reunion as anything but goddamn do we need to stop take that from reclaiming a bunch of of titles their <laughs> reunion is literally two years later they've churned out two records or the third one on the way the boys uh, the, the westlife reunion has churned out three records but only one of massive consequence because only one had the original lineup back but yeah, oh my god, Boyzone's discography, man. That shit is... That shit's intense. And a lot of covers in their discography as well. Which is, yeah, that was Even the thing higher. I was saying. Yeah. You guys love covers over there, which... I, yeah. I don't know if that's just like you guys are like, look, an artist is an artist, but a good song is forever, or something. Certainly that to it, yeah. Um, but with Boyzone in particular, I think maybe it, at first they didn't really sort of have much confidence in them as songwriters, and they were just wanted them to be performers. Later on, definitely Ronan himself showed himself as quite a strong songwriter. There is definitely just that element of this is a song that people know and this is the way we can get this band to be known by people. But yeah, covers are definitely a thing and going back to Eurodance, lots and lots of Eurodance covers and remixes of classic songs. Yeah, you guys need to get that under control because people are starting to do it over here and it's driving me crazy. Yeah, I don't really know how to stop that. It's just... Yeah, it's part of the the way we sort of do music here. If I'm not mistaken, in my in my comparative points, Backstreet Boys and NSYNC are essentially the same as Westlife and Boyzone in terms of cultural impact for their era and volume of sales and records broken. What's really then interesting, one of the members of Boyzone passed away. Yeah. And we have never had that in our boy band groups. I mean, I suppose... we had one. We had Rich Cronin from LFO, one of the guys who said that uh, Lou Pearlman... Yeah, LFO, but like that's not a, a... No, no disrespect to him. That's not quite a first stringer breaking all the records artist. Right. The equivalent would be like if Lance Bass died. Yeah. A secondary person from one of the bigger bands. A hundred percent. And that's, yeah. um, that's really really interesting. Stephen Gately was like the second guy in Boyzone after Ronan Keating. I don't know that he had any particular hits. I think he had one or two of his own solo hits, but he never really had a career afterwards. I think he went into like uh, theatre, which I think a lot of these sort of... He wrote children's books too. Oh, did he? Okay, that's quite interesting. Obviously Ronan then was pretty big for a while. And, and again, another cover, I think. What was the cover song he did? I don't remember. He did a it million. very big. When You Say Nothing At All, I think that was our, sort of the biggest song he did that was a cover. But I mean, he was a songwriter in his own right, and I think he was quite equivalent to Gary Barlow in that like, they were the, the big one. Like, creative driving force of their bands, but they never quite had the sort of lasting appeal of someone like Robbie Williams who just had that like star quality, as you'd say. If I may bring up one other major Euro pop band that I feel like we kind of need to touch on for financial reasons. Because they're paying us. I mean, just like, it's it's a really funny thing because every now and then, I mean, like, I'm, I'm such a big comics guy and 
somebody will say to me, you know, what's the best-selling comic ever? Or like, you know, what's the, the comic book that sells the most copies? And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the best-selling comic book franchise of all time is X-Men. But if it's a single title you're talking about, the single title who remains in the top 100 New York Times bestseller list the most frequently is the various iterations of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Now, while Neil Gaiman's Sandman is one of my all-time favorite pieces of, of fiction ever, I don't believe it is a comic reader's comic book. It is a comic that many people read because of how beautifully self-contained it is, what an expression of the art it is. It's something they know. Everybody knows Neil Gaiman now. And I think that's sort of a thing. So when I say, like, we should talk about it for financial reasons, you would be remiss if you tried to talk about comics in the 80s and 90s without discussing the rise of Neil Gaiman and Vertigo. But the rise of Neil Gaiman and Vertigo doesn't really have a direct impact because the high point of Vertigo lasted about two years and was not the financial success they thought it was. By the time they made Vertigo its own imprint, it was already way too late. That was totally digression but what i more meant to say was that when we talk about europop i feel like you got to talk about the people who dominated the industry in multiple countries and i don't believe there was quite a band that dominated the industry in multiple countries quite the way the 18s did the 18s yeah they had their greatest hits is literally every song on their greatest hits is a number one in some country wow i've never heard of that band the 18s the abba cover yeah. band wait they're an abba no, I've cover never band heard of them. oh holy shit they are an ABBA cover what the band, ABBA band cover is this? called A-Teens. They started out as the ABBA Teens. And then Mr. T joined the band. And they have sold uh, millions and millions of records around the world. In fact, they even made it big over here in America for a while and received regular radio play on um, kid-friendly stations like Disney Junior and collections that were repackagings. So they're Kids Bop. They're Kids Bop specifically for ABBA. But they're Kids Bop for ABBA in a way that... It's not Kids Bop, because one of the things about Kids Bop is, it's a bunch of voices sounding young. And these people were like, no, be sexual, uh, be Ugh. daring, be urban and young and hip. Oh, wow. And they're not like sexy, like, it's not like their dance moves are putting somebody's face between their legs, but there's definitely some, there's some thrusting and there is some innuendo to it. The 18s released a few albums. They sold six million records in six years. Their greatest hits is a series of number ones from around the world. Seriously, they are a Swedish ABBA cover band. I was going to say, this sounds like some deep Europe shit. But like, this is how serious I am. Like in Sweden, their first album went two times platinum, gold in Austria, gold in Germany, platinum in the Netherlands, platinum in Norway, gold in Sweden, gold in the United States. Their second album went gold in Sweden and gold in the United States. We're not talking about some band that no one's ever heard of. They had 17 singles. They are responsible for the Lilo and Stitch cover of Can't Help Fallen in Love. And if I'm not mistaken, I need to just I need to do a quick bit of click, click homework for two seconds. Yes, the 18s were allowed to create their own songs at a certain point. (laughs) They became the A people. Well, because they were adults. They were an ABBA cover band. (laughs) Well, they were an ABBA cover band, yeah. and they wanted to record original music, so they had to get, like, permission. Christ. I guess eventually yeah. you're going to run out of ABBA songs. At least ones that people care about. Mamma yeah. Mia is only two and a half hours. God help me, I've seen it. <laughs> they were an international big deal. I can't believe I've never heard of them, and ABBA are a big deal in Ireland. Anytime somebody comes out with an ABBA cover, it's probably going to go to number one. You go to a normal nightclub, one that isn't playing nightclub music, one that's playing top 40, 
there's a good chance you'll hear three or four ABBA songs, including that really grating ABBA mega mix that people oh, play that all thing. the time. Yeah, I hate that so much. Yeah, their first album charted and got certified unit sales, like, you know, like whatever that country's version of gold, platinum, or silver is, in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve countries. Wow. How fucking crazy is this that we were just talking about the connected universality of music in Europe, especially pop music that relates to Europop, bringing people together, and I'm talking about a band I knew as a fact was huge in Europe in the 2000s, like 2000, 2001, I knew they were a big deal in Europe, and they totally missed your radar. I mean, at that time as well, I wasn't listening to a lot of radio. I had friends with younger siblings. Yeah, there's a good chance that just went over my head just through not paying attention. What is the pop scene like right now? Because over here, uh, we're getting a lot of like really down-tempo, trap-inspired, minimalist kind of pop. What's up over there? And are there any artists here that are just like, you know, kind of we're saying like we didn't really get a Robbie Williams. We certainly didn't get Westlife, any of that. Like, is there anyone over anyone from America who's just whiffing that you're aware of right now? And what does the pop scene sound like? I think the pop scene sounds very, very similar to uh, American and you know American pop at the moment because of course it's a much more global market now than it was when I was you know growing up and listening to now records there is a lot of that trap influence there's you know you're, you're getting your katie perry's and your what have you's kesha's like on on the top 10 charts at the moment deservedly so i still have to listen to that album i really need to get around to listening to it you get a lot of um alt pop as well bands like everything everything and dua lipa i think is the name is that the name of the i city? don't know if i know that one check the liner notes According to my research, the last really big crossover Europop group were The Wanted. Yeah, that's really I would think so. the last thing that was a humongous deal in Europe before it came over to America and was yeah. a big deal for half a second. We got your EDM a couple of years back. We got like that sort mm-hmm. of dubstep influenced dance music that really just took over the radio for a while. But I mean, you've always had your pure pop. You know, your Ed Sheerans are still pretty big here. Lord is fairly huge. Who's after just releasing them? There's a band called The Script. Oh yeah, I don't know if you guys have them. They, we, yeah, they're Irish, and we had them about six, seven years ago. Their new album just came out, and that's you know that's pretty big. People are sort of buzzed about that. The Coronas. I don't know if you guys have heard of those. No, they're they're an Irish rock band, sort of post-punk influence. Oh nice, uh, which is su- surprisingly big here because post-punk is not a popular genre but they've sort of inf- they've, they've got a sort of an Irish influence they have violins they have Irish punk is actually a thing over here oh yeah I mean you've got the Dropkick Murphys and stuff like yeah. that but this is just more of a there's more of a tinge to it rather than it just being like expressly Irish themed it's just yeah. like somebody took a punk song and hung some Irish drapes on it it's, the, it's as Irish as some fucking idiot from Boston screaming about the Red Sox yeah pretty much in fact the singer of the Coronas his mother is a very famous Irish singer by the name of Mary Black, sort of a Chanteuse type singer, uh, very popular in the 90s. So like that sort of that family line has continued, I suppose. Hmm. My brother is in a band who had a number one record two years ago. Oh, that's awesome. By the name of Walking on Cars. They haven't really broken outside of sort of England and Ireland yet. They're really big in Germany for some reason, though. That's awesome. Yeah. If you're going to be big somewhere, be big with Angola. Is big in Germany like our version of big in Japan? German, everybody's big in Germany. <laughs> if you go to Germany, you go to a media mart, which is like their Walmart or their Best Buy. They have a media section that's like, like a Tower Records. And you can buy anything there. You can buy like J-Rock. You can buy Korean pop music. You can buy literally anything. So there's a massive audience in Germany for a large varied amount of music. You finally explained Hasselhoff to America. Thank you. 
<laughs> yeah, there's just it's a, it's a really big music market and they sort of devour music. And I think that's why a lot of the techno and house music sort of came from America, but they didn't really become a thing like a cultural force in Europe until Germany got a hold of it and then started producing its own stuff. That's really funny because we stole Lady Gaga from Europe. And by that, I mean Lady Gaga, for the first two records of her career, made music that sounded an unbelievable amount. Like, I don't know that I'm allowed to use this term, but um, there's a term gay Euro trash. Yeah. Basically, Lady Gaga's first two records are nothing but gay Euro trash from the 90s. Yeah. Like, I mean, (laughs) strikingly, even the record labels recognized this and kind of tried to pimp her out on Logo, which is a gay network, before she was ever given radio airplay on MTV or VH1. I heard Poker Face before I heard Just Dance by six months because Lady Gaga's music was so targeted at gays Mm -hmm. early on. Yeah, definitely. A huge part of that comes from the fact that the style of music she was making already had a pretty strong foothold in European gay culture. We owe you guys for Lady Gaga and you guys owe us for EDM. But I have to say, you, we've talked a lot about Irish music and Irish pop, and I, I have not yet expressed a, a guilty pleasure. I can basically sing and also play on guitar every song from the Core's first three records. That's fair enough. I kind of think the Core's are phenomenal. Like They're just such a good time. I like the Core's, and I think they do a really good cover of Dreams. Yes, they do. They do a nice cover of Dreams, in fact. Yes, yeah. they do. Guitarist Jim has sort of gone off the deep end recently with conspiracy theories and stuff. Though, oh so no! Oh, I don't know if they're. I don't know if they're going to be coming back anytime soon. Oh, Andrian. No. A- it must be tough to be the guy <laughs> in the band with the three hot sisters, though. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was like the, the lead songwriter, though. I believe so. Yeah. So I don't think it was too hard for him. Yeah, I'm sure he's doing just fine with his. Scrooge McDuck piles of money and uh, conspiracy theories. What is, is he a flat earther? I hope he's a flat earther. I don't believe he's a flat earther, but he's definitely a 9-11 truther. Oh, no. They have them over there? <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. That is the worst export. That's, the cultural penetration of 9-11 is just, yeah. If if we can have, like, if we can have people that are like, no, I'm telling you, they're hiding vampires in Romania, <laughs> then they can most certainly have 9-11 truthers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow, I'm really sorry that all of my questions were not remotely conducive to getting back to the subject of now that's what I call music. No, we we're not here to talk now. This is this EP months are a break that we uh, our our brains and hearts and ears need. Tom, anything that uh, where where can people find you out there? Mostly, I just am on Twitter. I'm extremely online there, <laughs> under the name Farpush. That's my handle. I pretty much don't do much other than that, to be honest. Follow me on Twitter if you want. That's fine. That's where I found him from. And I know I told you, like, no recommendations, and we'll cut the dead air if you think about it, but I've seen you post some pretty solid choice of pop, choice cuts of pop music. Anything that you would recommend off the top of your head that probably us, you know, dumb Americans wouldn't know about? That's a tough question. There was one I posted in the the Now and Again uh, Facebook chat that we have a couple of months ago. I can't remember what the hell it was. It was just a, a single female pop artist and I was like this is awesome and Joe was like eh it's okay and I was like fuck you Joe. Is it Shura? <laughs> it should always be Shura. Shura is the best thing to come out of Europe right now. I don't I love remember Shura. what it was. Shura I've never heard of well, that. So it wasn't that because it was definitely uh, from you. I have no idea what the fuck country she's from but she makes it kind of sounds like a mix of when Sia still made good albums and not just good singles. Kind of like Carly Rae Jepsen-esque upbeat 80s pop. You should check it out if you've never heard her. S-H-U-R-A. Shura. S-H-U-R-A. I'll definitely check that out. Something I've discovered recently is an artist by the name of Tara Lee. Really good sort of ethereal pop music. Definitely worth checking out. 
If you want to listen to some Irish rap, check out a group by the name of Rusangano Family. I'm going to get you to put a link to that in the show notes, I think, because yeah. nobody's going to be able to spell that from how I pronounced it. They are a couple of um, African refugees who came over to Ireland and found a, a DJ, and they just started making uh, tracks and beats together, and it's got some really, really good stuff on it. Just in general, the Rubber Bandits, who are a comedy hip-hop group, but also sort of weirdly socially active... Uh, politically aware think sort of ICP but maybe a little less serious than that <laughs> okay but they perform with plastic bags on their heads oh I've I've heard and I think seen you, you might have seen yeah. them they're sort of yeah uh, but they're very good they're sort of a good laugh so awesome yeah. also everyone should watch Sing Street just throwing that out there because I don't get to recommend stuff from current or current-ish times but that movie's great Tom thank you so much come on again for like a full episode oh definitely yeah can I break in with two other things really quick? Of course, I'll edit them to be normal. Uh, thank God. Uh, I need to say that the proudest moment of my life is that I've gotten through this entire recording experience without doing my, my, my impression of a brogue. And I'm, I need to be really proud of that. <laughs> yeah, please be proud of that, but just do not continue. Oh, no, I'm not going to do it. It's really bad. <laughs> Everybody's is really bad. Well, like, my family, like, had them when I was younger. Yeah. So, like, I grew up around them. But for some reason, and I took Gaelic lessons for a year. Like, I tried to actually learn okay. Gaelic. Like, my, like what I said, That's my it. Irish heritage was like a big thing in this motherfucking house. My Irish heritage was a big thing in this motherfucking house growing up. So I learned all about the tricky hidden Bs and Fs and shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's one of those. I mean, like, I think Gaelic spoken really if I tried to speak it really well, it would still sound like marbles falling out of my mouth. It's a difficult language to speak, but it is beautiful. Oh, 100%. When when the yeah. nun who taught us uh, spoke it, it was gorgeous. And when I spoke it, it was uh, a hate crime. <laughs> There's such a musicality to it, and I think that's part of why Irish people sort of have that musical gene in them. Well, and I mean, like, even then, like, Irish music, if we're going to talk about, like, the structure of Irish music, the, the, the components behind lilting... Are, are just like yeah. fucking insane. Like the actual act of lilting to really get those those slide hits. It's it's. I can't think of a lot of other genres of music outside of like Indian music that really need that level of intense vocal control. That's really astounding. Are you going to try and do a brogue for me, so to see if you'll impress me? Oh no, it's like it's really bad. No. I'm not kidding. It's really <laughs> bad. I can do some good impressions, like. I, I actually, I do think my Shaggy impression came out pretty well on the show. And, um, it wasn't too bad, yeah. Right? And I can do a, a pretty okay uh, Tickle Me Elmo. But my brogue is, <laughs> I mean, hold on, wait. I don't know if I can, I don't know if it's going to sound right over the phone, but. Elmo loves you. Hello. That's a really bad. Elmo. That's not a good brogue at all. That's a shitty brogue. Okay, I would love to hear Elmo with a brogue. Like, Elmo me love you now. Like, I can't see it comes out Jamaican. I don't know what's wrong with me. So, um. <laughs> Uh, ask me to tell you where you can find me so I can go. <laughs> Nico, you've got, uh, it's October 1st, according to my watch. You have some big news. Where where can we find you? Oh, hell yeah. It's October. The, uh, the first week leading up to October is always uh, New York Super Week, and that's New York Comic Con. Uh, you'll be able to find me at my table uh, with LGBTHQ, Pawn and Books, and my... Uh, comic Kid Riot. You can also find me at KidRiotComics.com, as well as for my band at Facebook.com slash ActionDuo. As far as me, you can find me at Nico J. Vasillo. No, there's no J. Nico Vasillo on Instagram. And, um, yeah, Comic-Con. Yeah! Javits. Yeah! 
Elmo did a brogue and it sounded like Miss Cleo. You can find the show at cageclub.me along with the rest of the Cage Club podcasting network and fam at now. Oh no, that's not my Twitter handle. Anymore. <laughs> I changed it. I broke everyone. It's at, Chris, it's at Chris Podcasts on Twitter. I changed it. It's much more me now. The show Twitter is dead because I can't handle two Twitters at once. Now and again, cast at gmail.com. Write into the mailbag. Ask us questions or just yell at us. <laughs>